Taiwan, Berlin. Everything started innocently enough. I had uh, uh, what was diagnosed as a, a, a pneumonia by uh, Dr. De Belder, my, my cardiologist, when I went to see him, and because he saw the x-ray. It's very clear. You see his round, dark spot, rather large, 20, 25% of your lung, or 20%, you know, oh. pretty big. Oh. And he said, that's a large, and here you got some water also. So you have a real problem, and this is very dangerous for you. So you have to take these antibiotics. And he looked up in a book. I remember him doing that. He's a specialist, and he looks up in the book, and he says, okay. And I know what he was looking for. He was wanting to see if these antibiotics that he was going to give me are deleterious to the kidneys or not. As they say in the uh, uh, medical profession, will it insult the kidneys? They use the term insult. So uh, uh, I uh, took these pills. I was an outpatient, took these pills every day, twice a day, something like that, or three times. And uh, in the beginning, a little woozy, and then it started to really catch on, and it did its job. Inside of seven days, when I finished the course, I was clear and felt good, and I was back to s s strength again. I felt really clear. He told me I should come back in a week or two weeks, but I came back in two weeks, because by, by the time, it started to slightly get worse. A little bit here. I fe felt it. I was worried. I went to my doctor, because the way to get in touch with your consultant in this NHS system is to go through your doctor always, practically, except if you have a direct line. And he has not yet given me one, although we have a very good relationship. So I go to my doctor, and she immediately tries to get him, does not find him. He's in the hospital somewhere, or he's not there, or what have you, or other. The point is, he's unobtainable. This is crucial and critical uh -huh. because at that moment, in not being able to contact him, uh -huh. she sends me, and I feel that this is a mistake, uh -huh. she sends me to accident and emergency wherein a new dossier is made of my case, all new stuff that they're going to do, tests that they will make, come in at that moment, and it's totally cut off from my history totally cut off from somebody who knows me and that becomes critical and crucial because when I get there oh uh, well, pneumonia I think it, it is uh, it's getting bad I was told that I should the doctor has put my doctor's written down you pneumonia so you go into this masu you get now here's an interesting thing you know you don't go to Masu, you don't go to the, uh, it's called Medical Assessment Unit. Uh, you don't go there just like that. They give you the address inside the hospital and you go, uh-uh. Once you're admitted, you have to go according to their protocols. And their protocols are, you are a patient now. That means you are in our responsibility. Therefore, we have to wait for a porter to come to push you in a chair. I say, I feel perfectly all right. I don't need a chair. I could get around. He said, no, 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 no. I said, tell the porter, what are you doing? He says, no, no. 
We can't afford that. If you, if you fall, if something happens to you on the way, we're responsible. I'm be responsible. So for that moment, I have to be responsible. You have to be in this chair. And that's typical of the system, right? Everybody passes you on to a responsible other. You're never self-responsible, practically. That is disallowed. So they wheel me into this, uh, into this hustling, bustling location. Very exciting. And then I'm delivered. I'm inside, and I'm waiting so I can move around, I can talk. Uh, they put me in a particular part to wait for a doctor to come into my cubicle and, and uh, do uh, a preliminary study of me. Uh, next door. There's a woman crying. Oh, oh, and I hear that we've already given you one shot of morphine. Here's a second. And she did crying after that as well. I had passed it in just a bit. I got a look at her. She was very heavy. She had, uh, and it turned out, it was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, I'll think of the term anyhow. I'll on her feet and on her knees, open sores. And it was just, and people say, well, never mind, open sores. And she's crying. And then a guy on the, my other side screams out, ah, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> okay, okay, that's his limits and uh, that's, Luckily, I'm where I am in the middle, and I'm feeling all right. I'm listening. I, this woman is in pain. They finally give her a third her uh, uh, morphine, and she quiets down a bit. Yeah. She goes low. Uh, last time I saw her, she's wheeled it out uh, to another ward, because this is m medical assessment unit. Everybody gets from here shifted to other parts of the system. You do not stay in this place. So, well, I'm, I'm looking around. I'm, 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 I, need, I need a drink. And a woman comes over, a nurse comes over to me uh, and says, you, uh, I said, could I have a drink or something like that? She goes and gets me a fizzy uh, bottle, fizzy water. I, and gives me two bottles of it and things like that. Very, uh, everybody is uh, wanting to help you. So you have an atmosphere of everybody looking to help you. Mm -hmm. There's nobody that's going to say no, 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 no. Mm. Right? That's, an, that's it's very interesting. So here is a, an institution in which everybody is passionately devote, devoted, once they accept their job, to helping. To helping. And really helping, giving all. And they give all. And all the time that I was there, I was amazed at the amount of uh, energy, the unceasing devotion to the patient and to the, and to the protocols. Because when the patient becomes more passive, more incapable, the protocols take over. So it's a dialogue between the protocols and the, and the, and the, and the patient's uh, 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 strength independence. And if you don't know how to defend yourself, you'll be putty in this protocol world. You become a dossier, you become uh, what's written on it, and they uh, just, as soon as something is decided about you, that's it, and the machinery works. 
And everybody looks at what they have to do and they see the machinery. Ah, yes, okay, I'll do it. And they do it. And they say you can't, they cannot because they're helping. And that's it. That's this. So everybody is well, it's a well, it's a machine. Uh, uh, A machine, but a machine has to have uh, directions to begin with. Uh, It has, it's it's a many operational machine. And so the first operation effectively is the doctor. The guy who says, this is what has to be done. So who walks in to my place? A, uh, a, a young, uh, not so young, 30-year-old, 32-year-old, very ably looking, very eyeglasses, young black woman, attractive, and she knows her stuff and she's questioning, etc. It is determined that I have to go for an x-ray and I have to have my blood taken, you see, and they do all these tests on you right there. Mm. And from those tests, they're going to decide everything. So, uh, waiting around, and that's another part of this whole thing. You know you have to go for an x-ray, but you can't go you walk over the 45 feet or 50 feet where the x-ray room is. A porter has to come to push you mm. in a chair. It's not allowed anything else. So you just wait around. So waiting around, I speak to people. I love people, and I'm speaking with all sorts of people. And one of them was a guy from uh, Mauritius. And uh, he's a, a training nurse, and he's uh, 30 years old, something like that. And we start to speak French. He speaks Creole French and a couple of other things, etc. So we start to speak French, and he, we really get along terrifically. So I have a half-hour, hour conversation in French. He comes over to me. I go over to him talking. He lets me know about the dreaded disease that's hanging around all hospitals that anybody could get if you have an open wound of the littlest variety, a little pinprick, will do it. And that's that uh, incurable uh, uh, antibiotics, uh, you know, immune to antibiotics, uh, uh, diseases exist in the hospitals now and this is uh, a real danger so the hospitals represent I say this is a real danger he says it's a real danger any case but why are you there talking you're meeting other people too I'm meeting a oh an Egyptian woman an old uh, young Egyptian woman she's been eight years in 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 Brighton her husband is a uh, uh, studying to be an accountant, I think, something like that. Both of them Egyptian. They have two children. And she could hardly speak English after eight years. You could imagine how isolated she is. And she says she's rather uh, shy. And uh, wow, wow. And then she presents to me this question. Do you believe in God? You know why she came here to England? Because they were all Christian. And she's Christian. She's a Christian Egyptian, so she thought it would be good. They're, they're Christians. So I uh, sort of began to, mm-hmm. and then, uh, do you believe in God? So I had to be honest with her, so I told her that uh, I believe that uh, belief in authoritarian figures of any sort, even authoritarian words are dangerous. Uh, it's up to you to decide. I, I could love this person and that person and that person without the God. And she says, well, I love you and I love other people, she tells me, and I love that person over there because they have been made in God's image. Mm. 
a legitimate answer. That's the Christian answer, etc. We didn't go very, very far. I couldn't. I did say a teeny bit, perhaps too critically, of uh, that uh, the uh, Christian world is not one of the most non-belligerent worlds. Uh, that uh, civilizations that have existed. We have wars and wars, and we've conquered everybody and everything. We So uh, the Christianity you get in the Bible, maybe, and the Christianity you get in the real life or, is another story. But I, I was soft, and I moved away, and I never went back. Uh, there were other people. There was a guy who I just cracked jokes with, always kept on cracking jokes, being easy with. He came in. He came in with my same the doctor that I had. She sent him. She said she never had my doctor, never had a day like this this morning. She sent three people to hospital, she said. She never did that in her life. So I was one of the three in this situation. And there was a hustle bustle here and there. You go for a pee and you talk to this one and that one. And everybody is, you know, this is the in intake thing. So it's like, you know, it's for, et cetera. And, uh, the guy comes, takes me to x-ray. X-ray, I speak to a guy. It's a Simmons machine. Another Simmons, you know, Siemens. Concentration camp maker of Ravensbrück during the Second World War. They have conquered the machines. This guy knew. This guy was able to say, I told him certain things, and he had actually studied radiography and was able to say that, uh, yes, there's Simmons, there's GE, there's Phillips, there's this, and that da-da-da-da is the case of what have you. So I said, well, do you, have you ever heard of the four-state study? When uh, a nun, he said, yeah, I think I've, a nun, nobody has ever heard of it. I, I'm the only one that always asks this question. Uh, this is about 25 years ago, very major study, 25, maybe 40 years ago. A nun uh, in the Midwest, a, stat a stat statistician, for her master's degree, takes a look at all, all the records in four states that are together. That's called the four-state study. And just looking at the x-rays people received and where and the death due to leukemia, the life expectancy loss due to leukemia, just leukemia, why? X-rays hit the bone marrow the bone marrow is where the, the uh, white blood corpuscles are uh, made. Therefore, there's an effect on leukemia. Hence, so she says, you lose, for every mouth uh, x-ray, you lose two to three months mm -hmm. of your expected life. Mm -hmm. And I think of it way back, they used to take full mouth x-rays, 10 of them, etc. And then as you go down to your chest, there's more bone there and it goes higher and higher, and the biggest one is about three years every pelvic x-ray, right? So chest x-ray, you're gonna lose five months, six months, expected. But he went ahead and answered, yes, that was true then. But now it's the amount of radiation coming off these x-ray machines now is one and a half times the daily total dosage. So you're getting one day and a half do dosage inside of a millisecond. It's not great, you'll see. That's a standard, so there's no way it's gonna hurt you. I like that answer, I accepted it, and you know, when we got to talking, told a couple of jokes to each other, and, and I got out and I finally get back. And uh, by this time, she has gotten 
that my doctor there has gotten uh, the year of, uh, of the other doctor. Because as soon as you go to the x-ray, they give you the x-ray back. You carry it with you. I get, present it. She then puts it up on the board, and the, the, the consultant looks at it and says, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So they looked at it. I saw them looking at it. It's, it's a, oh, it's a pneumonia, right? And the story is true, et cetera. And uh, we got to treat it. She comes over, and she says, you're not going to be able, it's best that you stay in. We're taking you inside. We're not allowing you out. Uh, well, well, we're not taking you as an outpatient. We'd rather have you in to give you heavy uh, antibiotics. So I say, okay, because that's what I expected. Era, era, era. I had forgotten. I didn't know. I No, not that I had forgotten, but I didn't know. I was not aware. At that point, at that point, I'm to tell them, but my antibiotics, are they going to ruin my kidneys? Are they going to affect my heart? That's my two major questions, two weaknesses that you have to absolutely be uh, 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 choose correctly. Unhappily, John, I don't think they chose correctly. They didn't think about it. They had no reason to. What they tested, what they saw was who I was, what have you. Maybe they got an idea there was some creatine problem through the blood, but they didn't tell me. And they're just shooting, and they say, okay, we'll take you in. Well, as soon as they say they'll take you in, they give you a place now. I had a place in the semi, in, in, in the room, but not in a real stool. And there I stayed and walked around waiting, etc. And then all of a sudden they tell me, two hours or three hours later, Go to this, store, uh, to this place here. So I got a new place, my own place. It's in the corner. I do well. I sleep there. I feel good about it. It's, everything is uh, opposite me. Once I was established, they now could start the, the uh, uh, treatment, which consists of two antibiotics of a particular variety uh, orally taken, which I take orally directly, and then... A, uh, a nurse, a Filipino, comes over to me, and she says she has to put in a, a, a canicule. Have you ever heard of a canicule? It's one of those open switches yeah. into your vein so that they don't have to open it up. With, you keep it there all the time. So they, every time they come in and they want to give you something more, they just put it in there. Well, she tries my right arm. Do you see it now? bruised. She couldn't find the vein. She kept on missing it, missing it. She says, I missed it. I'm, f I'm not getting it. So she switches out of that. It's bleeding here. She comes into this left arm, goes to the top over here, and then proceeds to go into bone and muscle. She's miss she says, oh, I'm missing it. I'm, I'm missing it. So there was this Filipino nurse, and she was short gal and she's trying to get it in she gets you know she and she puts it in sort of and then she takes the injection that she has to give it's a big cylinder massive you can't imagine it's a uh, uh this this size about five inches long wide like that filled with these antibiotics and she pressing with all of my and it's pain is i'm going through the roof with pain 
But in this case, you know, I allow myself to accept the pain. I say, this is the most painful thing I've ever seen. She says, there's only a half left. Don't worry. There'll be half. And she says, she's not getting, She's and you feel with a hand, she's moving the thing around, trying to get it in the right spot. While it's, she's pressing in, it was completely out of control. And then all of a sudden, it is a spurt of, of the stuff that it goes all outside, goes on my hands, goes all over, etc. She said, oh, sorry. And she puts it back and she starts to press again. And I'm going through doing my nut and she's pushing and she continues, etc. A quarter of the stuff has not gotten into my system. If I don't know if anything's gotten into that vein, but I can't say. Anyway, that's the injection I get for the evening. And I, uh, and she, uh, she gets it patched up. Somebody patches it up really well. Next day in the morning, yeah. it's itching. Yeah. And I start to scratch underneath. I go over to a nurse. She takes off all the bandage. And it turns out the whole skin is irritated. And then she says, oh, the nurse, because this is not the same one, had injected it into the tissue the subcutaneous tissue rather than into the vein. And it was itching the shit out of me and it was irritating me like crazy. There's still a remnant of it, but it's hardly there anymore now. But I, I mean, I could feel the, a little bit of it. it yeah. They always told me it was going away, going away, yeah. and it didn't go away for three days. And I thought it was, and this was something because this was, ah, so antibiotics. Yeah. If it hits the skin or yeah. other tissue, yeah. is an irritant yeah. Yeah. in some way or other. Yeah. But wait a second now. These pills, I take a second, I get a second yeah. one of these pills from the, yeah. these two pills, two at once, yeah. uh, orally. And I'm beginning to feel it's doing something to my stomach. I have a little pineapple juice. In the morning, I don't know how I got it, I forgot. Somebody had some that you offered me. I took a little swig. You can't imagine how little. It was something that, if you cup your tongue, you'd be able to carry, have that amount inside the cup tongue. That's how little. And I take it, and three minutes later, or four minutes later, I'm getting excruciating pains in my stomach, in spasmodic, Tempo, bah, and then quiet. And then slowly on, coming on again, and then uh, gripping me hard and shooting fucking pains. And I, I say to the nurse, this is what I'm getting, I'm receiving this. They say, oh, it's the acid. You don't, we'll just give you something. So they give me this uh, Garsic band, or I don't know what the fuck it is. It's a particular thing, it's an antacid. And sure enough, within a five minutes, calms it down. And then uh, when I'm speaking to this woman opposite, she offers me uh, uh, grapes. And I have these grapes. And that gives me a little sensation of pain. She said, well, it has, it's mild acid. So I say, uh-huh, I see. So it was an acid response, blah, blah. But why? Well, the antibiotics maybe are irritating a little bit, what have you. This woman, she's very bright. She has, she says, cancer. 
cancer of her throat, cancer of her this, cancer of her that. It's all it seems disaster. She had cancer originally 12 years ago of her breast, and it's come back now, and she's going to fight it, but what an up with and she had marvelous friends women that came around that were intelligent we talked we had a good conversation you met individual people in their lives that were you know critical parts of their life in danger and and all but various types of people right uh there was only this one woman who was very very uh uh different and her weight was different everybody else was really quite normal in this way and that way and had their individual diseases but that was it well eventually i got told the next day that i'm not staying here and i was sorry because it was a very oh i learned that's very important so i start to walk out so i'd walk out between the injections i could walk out so i walk out and i get to the emergency entrance and i talk to people and i find out all sorts of things I find out that there should be nine soldiers on the Pentagon roof with Stinger, uh, uh, with Stinger anti-missile missile, you know, missiles, anti-plane missiles, and they weren't there the day of the uh, uh, attack. Wow, and it's by a military man, American military man. And I find out loads of other different things, speaking to people, everything, just everybody in, in, in the hospital. People are really open, and you just walk around, and you can say hi, and you feel that you're open. You're not there to hurt, as long as you're not actually. That's the whole thing. If you're, you're just curious, and you just, and uh, you, if if the person doesn't want you, you just move away. That's all. There's you don't hurt anybody. Anyway, so I was enjoying myself. I was uh, uh, the center. I was the American. I was telling them everything about America, whatever you or other, etc. I was a value to everybody. The Filipinos, the nurses saw me as a possibility. I mean, one person, for instance, to give you an example, <coughs> had stated the problem of that she can't study from a book. It was impossible. So I told her, okay, get a recorder, tape recorder, and record the chapters and then walk around listening to it you'll see it'll go in that's the way so she said hey that's an idea that's what i did with Tom that's what thomas did she passed her her optical exams that way that was the, that was the so i was enjoying myself and walking everywhere i knew the hospital that part of it and and just buzzing around etc but then slowly, slowly, the gnawing the stomach start to take its effect. And I found myself not able to sleep. Walking around, I was known then, I became known as the person that doesn't go to sleep. And uh, uh, I think I was in that situation, in fact, before I went to hospital. So. So I'd wander around trying to, I'd go everywhere, I'd go outside the building, uh, get a fresh air, walk, come back, don't go down hills or up hills, you know, stay on the same block, same hospital location. Um, and uh, finally they say, we're going to send you to a, the ward, a new ward. Everybody was getting sent to wards. So I was. What a shame. I was giving up this place. Okay. And uh, the porter who was pushing me said, this is a good ward. You'll, uh, you'll like the people that run it, right? Mm -hmm. 
Ah, sounded good. Wait a second. I discover it doesn't work that way in the NHS. They wheel me into this ward and they give me this place and they don't pay too much attention to me and I got my own place there now and, and it's counter light. There's only, any case, I'm, I'm, I'm there and I get my injection every now and then somebody comes around and then the evening comes and the evening team comes on yeah. and I get really, I have a great time with the evening team. Yeah. I say, this is terrific. I'm looking forward to them the next day, the next evening. Oh. They don't come back. Oh. The day team didn't come back. Nobody comes back. Oh. That's the thing. There is no permanent staff, or very few. Yeah. So everything is a pickup. This pickup teams. Oh. So every, once you have a pickup team on something so, so medical, etc., everybody that does anything has to write down what they've done. So everybody's involved in writing down exactly what they've done or reading what they have to do, etc. But you don't have this permanence anymore. There's e you, you just every eight hours there's another team, or twelve hours, you know, etc. So, wow. And then I start to experience doctors coming in to look at me, coming in to see. You know how many doctors came in to see me? I had 10 occasions in which I saw a doctors, and every time it was a different doctor. There is no continuity. Now that was the problem, because they broke off the continuity with my original doctor, the cardiologist. So you get nothing. They're coming from here, they're coming from there. One guy comes in and says like this, uh, uh, well, your kidneys seem to have... Uh, jumped to 50 points, you know, at the creatine level. We uh, want to take a look at, you know, I didn't register it, 50 points. That's more than it jumps in the whole two years. What are they doing to me? I should have then caught on. I didn't. You're passive. You don't know, etc. So we want to do some blood te or water tests. We're going to count how much water you take in and how much water you give out. Uh, you'll have to use this bottle. We'll have to take blood tests every third day, second day. It's, I tell them, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing it. It's getting too much. I mean, it, I'm going in for this, and they're doing this, and that's this, and this. When this guy should have told me, as a kidney specialist, if he's kidney interested, we're giving you the wrong stuff then. 50 fucking points on a creatine level jump. That's disaster, man. That says catastrophe. You don't go 50 points in, in one day. That's what he was telling me. I flipped up 50 points in one fucking day. Or two days. What's going on here? If I would have stayed, I would have been killed there. I would have walked out. I would have had to have dialysis immediately if I would have stayed. It was completely, but he was cut off. Yeah. He accepted the drug without putting it in question. Yeah. The kidney, spe this kidney specialist or whatever, and he's saying, but we got it. But a person who has a creatine level that jumps, we got to see if it, this, the kidneys are getting worse. So we, yeah. to see whether it's just a, a little jump or whether it's permanent. What do you mean? Get rid of the shit that's, that you're giving me first. But no. And I didn't realize it. See? You have to be all completely aware of your own personal weaknesses and needs. And I suppose that goes for life in general. 
Everybody has their agendas. These guys came in, these doctors, another doctor, young woman. She's 30 years old, 25, 28 years old. She actually grabs my hand in passion. And she says, you have to take these pills, these uh, orally. They're very good for you. They, they, they're, they're excellent pills. I'm saying they're ripping the guts out of me. They're producing, I think, permanent damage in me. Oh, no, 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 we'll give you a, a Garvis can or whatever it is. That will cut down the, 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 the stuff, etc. I And then I took, I played along somewhat. I took the Garvis can, but it didn't. I felt annoying still. Then I decided afterwards, uh-uh. And I start to pocket the pills and put it in my pocket, and they think I'm taking it. My first revolt. But the, uh, uh, her, she was holding my hand. We've got to compromise. You see, you've got to do this. She has her agenda. This uh, room that I'm wielded into, this new ward, Chichester Ward. Of the 23 beds that are there, it's occupied by 21 of them. Oh, you know what? They're all moribund, except the guy on the left. He's just coming. He's leaving the same day that I'm getting in. He's leaving. Uh, he had uh, pneumonia. And, they, and he came off the plane from, from Turkey. He was in a, on a, a holiday in Turkey. He's about 50 years old with his family, wife, attractive wife and two kids or what have you, brother. He comes out and they ask him to say 99. And he is it's so weak, he cannot say 99. And he tells me, this is crazy. It's the first time in my life. I couldn't say 99. I'll never forget that. And he's going out. And it turns out that when he was leaving, he was in, in a physical state that I believed I was in when I walked in. I had that sense. And I had the sense that I was going down here. I had these moribund people. I couldn't do anything with them. But wait, you can't always do something with them. In the middle of the night, oh God. There are two people right directly opposite me, 85 and 80 or what have you or other. They are special cases because why? They don't obey orders necessarily. They do what they want. So therefore you have to have a special assistant is there who actually is paid to be there, the two, to take care of the two. How do they take care of the two? After all, this is medicine. This is not psychiatry, psych psychoanalysis, humanistic psychology of any sort. This is... Sit in your seat. As soon as the guy gets up, get back to your seat. Or as soon as the guy gets up, get back to bed. And, and they're always looking at you, these guys. They're in a stupor. So this first guy that I'm thinking about now, he has a birthday party. He's about 85, 87 years old. And he, when they get out the birthday cake, he's like this. He's in a stupor. You don't know that he knows what they're talking about at all. You suspect he may be Alzheimer's or something like that. Anyway, he's just looking. His daughter comes one time and uh, reads to him. And then a woman comes, social worker, and they're placing him. They're going to put him in an NA because this is the antechamber to the hospices. You can't stay here. These guys are moribund, but they're not going to die here. 
there's yet another place to go, the hospices. Uh, one of the other case, the agitated cases, an Irishman who wants to pay for his food. When he gets food, he says, I got to pay for it, but I don't have money. I got to pay. They say, don't worry, don't worry. He says, no, I got to pay for this. And, uh, but they've taken away my money, he says. And every now and then, he, he gets up. He wants to walk. No, don't walk. Don't sit down. Sit down. So they keep you. It reminded me of the mental asylum in which I once was a member of staff. All the kids are kept in place in detail, detail. You know, you don't want them wandering around. Just keep them right there, right there, so they don't make mischief, right? Well, can you keep the human being down crazily? This 85-year-old birthday guy, he has on a... Uh, 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 children's, uh, what do you call it again? Nap nappies, right? He's taking off his uh, rest of his stuff there, right? And he's, got, he's standing up like this, right? And who comes in, an Angelina or something like that, a gal who is one of the assistants, she's the one to keep them in control, right? When he gets up and he starts to go towards her, because he actually starts to pick up, and I said, that's the first time he's moving. This is the first time he's moving, and he's moving towards her. <laughs> and you know what she's doing? She's saying, keep away, keep away. Instead of taking, hey, now let's uh, get back to bed, you know, this, that. She said, don't, don't move further, keep away. She was being a woman. She, she, she couldn't help herself. And he just kept on going, coming at her. So I, I was amazed. I see this thing there, and he and he wants to take off his uh, his nappy, and uh, uh, I think because she put on his nap get, nappy, I think he got the idea. He got a little twinge, and he, and he said, "Yeah, this is the ba this is the baby for me." See, so he's after her. So it was really quite interesting. Somehow she diverts him. It took a while, 10 minutes, and, and she diverts him. Remember those rolling tables right alongside the bed uh -huh. that you go, that you roll, uh -huh. uh, where you put food on and things? Uh -huh. He grabs a hold of one uh -huh. and then uses it because he's unsteady on uh -huh. his feet. He uses it to move. Uh -huh. And I see he starts to go into a furniture and then he pulls back. He solves the problem. You see him posed with a problem, what to do now? And he drops back and turns the thing and moves, and he starts wondering with it. She's uh, uh, saying, no, 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 you've got to get back. You've got to get back. You've got to get back. Everybody, because the chief nurse comes in, no, come on, get back. You know, da, da, da. And every now and then he gets himself up, and he starts to, <laughs> and I see this. And I say, this is the first bit of intelligence that I've seen this guy exhibit. And he's enjoying himself. So I make a, a sound, I say, he's enjoying himself. He's not looking to hurt anybody. So she lets him go then, and he starts to wander. And he wanders around with this thing, etc. I get to a point where at one point, to show that it's all right, I take one of these tables, and I play against him. I go around him. They go back. So I kid around a little bit to show them humanity, a little humanity. When you have a very small uh, number of people that you see, you then go ahead and categorize into categories that are, you know, oh, the Frenchmen, I don't like those Frenchmen. 
Uh, how do you know you don't like the Frenchman? Because I knew a Frenchman once. You know, if you know 10 Frenchmen, you, all, you may have a little different, it may be a little nuanced. So my, my lack of knowledge, let's put it that way, lack of experience, I found the uh, Filipinos were uh, marvelously soft, non-authoritarian, open. I could play with them, talk with them, everything. The woman, finally, who did give me these injections, the Filipino, I saw her, and I felt obliged to tell her. And I went over and told her, she said she heard, and, da -da -da, and she started to hold my hand, and we were having a warm holding, because she knew she was being threatened, dangerously threatened, and if I wanted to bring something against her, I could have pull the th and what I was put but maybe not any case love went out between us where I said I accept what that you did you've got to just learn it I told her this I said when I learned in university when I studied was that you have to know what you know and know what you don't know now you when you were doing this to me you were denying that you didn't know how to do it and you're working with me a high fi set you break it you can't allow yourself to do that. When you don't know something, you have to say, I don't know it, and search for somebody who will tell you how to do it. Learn it. She took that totally, completely accepted it with love. I told it with love. So we got along very well, and we left. And I, I was sorry for leaving that, uh, that original location, because, uh, you know, the MASU, the medical assessment unit, because she was there, I, went, I said, that was quite a uh, relationship there. I think I would like to see her. But I was already out and gone. That was it. What I wanted to say was that having left the, the original intake center, yeah. where you meet everybody, yeah. I was immediately plunged into a filtered location. Yeah. The uh, what? All these moribund kid guys. It was disastrous, John. Uh -huh. it, was, it was monochromatic. Uh -huh. It was oppressive. Uh -huh. I had to get out. Uh -huh. I couldn't sleep there. Uh -huh. I went walking the corridors. Uh -huh. The corridors are a different part of the uh -huh. hospital. Uh -huh. I have to check out where they are. So I found the corridor. Just go down the elevator right at the bottom. And a corridor, it's the longest corridor in that hospital there in the Sussex. And I counted the steps one way, and it was 142. And then I went the other way counting it at 2 in the morning and 3 in the morning and 4 in the morning and 5 in the morning and sometimes sitting in the corridor not wanting to go into that ward again that is stuffy, there is no air. People who come in don't think, if you pick up crew, you don't think you have a right to open it up or not open up windows. You're just accepting what's there, etc. So it's just, it was stuffy. It was warm, it was, ups it was uh, unhealthy in a certain way. It, never mind in a certain way, it was really unhealthy. Smelt of piss, John. Of course, moribund people, they, don't they can't control themselves. It smelt of all sorts of horrible things. It was not a, a live place for anybody. And, but I thought I could take it, you know. I'm perfectly willing to uh, put up with these things, but with annoying my stomach and the incapacity to, uh, to sleep, I was on a, a, a unrelenting, uh, uh, 
uh, I was in an unrelenting hell, you might say. And to escape it, I would go out into the corridors and walk and walk. And some guys that were the managers would say, you, you have to first sign something because we're not letting you out of the ward on your own without signing that it's no responsibility of ours. So I had to sign that, etc. So I'd go out in the ward two in the morning or three in the morning, etc. Nobody's in the corridors. I liked it. And I walked and walked and walked and walked and felt that the walking is important because that builds up my lungs. And that's what I was told that with a pneumonia, you have to have, your lungs have to do, move, 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 open up, expand. That's very important. Any case, so here I am, uh, just the one who doesn't sleep, who's lost his friends of the previous night, and who's now lost friends of the first night in this other place. I met a guy there, a black guy, he's 30 years old, 28, 30 years old, or something like that, and he's studying to be a pharmacologist, a f chemical pharmacologist, and he's going for his master's degree, and he starts to explain to me about the chemistry of the uh, 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 antibiotic and why it shouldn't irritate my stomach, and that da 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 is the case. There's no hydroxyl group on it. It doesn't have any acid potential forming mechanism, etc. 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 And I really, and we got along real well. And he was gone the next night. So all this is happening, and I'm going out of my head now. After three days, two, three, two and a half days. I'm beginning to um, realize that my sanity is in question. I have not slept. I'm getting one hour of sleep a day at maximum. I'm wandering around. I'm forever tired, exhausted, impossibly exhausted. I don't know that the drugs are doing anything. I don't know what these are doing. They're just upsetting me. They're not doing what I wanted to do. I'm beginning to feel that I'm coughing more. I'm not making progress as I had thought I had. I'm going to try to get the bell, the, the cardiologist. He must be in the hospital. I've wandered. One end of that long corridor is the cardiologist, and I was always blocked there because the office is closed. But then it was open at, in the morning, and I start to wander through, and I kept on asking, is the bell here? And then finally, at one point, Saturday afternoon, something like that. I'm walking, I walk in, and I see him, this tall guy, young guy. I say, DeBelder, Dr. DeBelder. And uh, he comes over, and I tell him what's going on. He says, look, I can't talk with you now. I have to go to theater. I got this nice, this theater, it's going to be late, and they won't let me in. So I said, very good, have a good, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm on the Chichester Wood. Oh, you're in the Chichester. Okay, I'll pass by tomorrow. Don't worry. And a Sunday... I'm walking around, waiting for him to come. They have a function in, in the uh, 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 cardiology division. They're, they're raising funds, so they're showing all sorts of different instruments that they could buy with the funds. And everybody's so very nice and middle class and elderly, too, and all smiling, because the people that are invited are there invited to offer uh, uh, charitable contributions, I suppose, something like that. And they're waiting for this guy, Adam DeBell, you know, among other things. I mean, but where is he? He's nowhere yet here, et cetera, et cetera. And then somebody comes up to me and says, DeBell is waiting for you upstairs in Chichester. Uh -huh. So he came to the Chichester before he came down to this function. And I felt, ah, that's interesting. Uh -huh. So I get up there. And by the time I get up there, he had looked at the x-ray that they had done. Uh -huh. 
at my intake. And you know what he says? But this x-ray shows that you were making progress. There was no sense for you to come into hospital. That if they would have seen the other x-ray, it was much worse. That the stuff that I was giving you was working perfectly. There was no reason for you to be in hospital. So he gets me discharged. He writes out all the things. What obstacles? There is a lady there. So he leaves. I kiss him first. I say, you saved me. I was looking to escape. Yes, you must know, John, at that point, I decided. If the Velda comes or doesn't come, if he doesn't come, I'm escaping. I'm not asking any questions. I'm getting out. This is dangerous to me. I know what's danger. It took me three days, though. I should have got it in one day or two days. The first day I couldn't get it because I was at ma this uh, 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 medical assessment unit. But as soon as you get into this moribund location, where the, it's psychic attack 90% of the time, and then you get these people, uh, not 90%, sometimes you get these, manage, uh, these head nurses or something that are just, cr a, a woman, right, middle of the night, a guy comes in, is flat on the bed, they're working on him alongside, I'm awake, so I see what he, they're putting in tubes, etc. He had a stroke, they think, and he's and a guy who is a uh, diabetes. So, and here he is, well, in the morning, he, there he is, he's awake, and all that, and, and, the, and his wife walks in, a Finnish woman, and uh, we get to talking a bit, and you know, out of her head, first, she hears to build what he's saying about my case, and this, and what, how, and my relationship with the other people as I'm talking, because I'm looking to get out now, I'm saying, I've got to get out, this is, it. So she says, aren't you the rebel, she says, she doesn't know me for fuck all. Aren't you the rebel? Oh, oh young man, do you th Young man, I think I'm older than her. So then she heard that I had been in India because I spoke with a guy, a doctor there about Ayurvedic medicine in India. So she says, when did you go to India when you were a young man, when you were 20 years old, 30? So I said, well, let me see. I went to India when I was about 60. That shut her up. And then I saw what she was doing to her husband. She's controlling her husband totally, keeping him down. So she has to keep me down. And you know how I knew she was keeping him down? And you know how I knew she was, I knew it. You know what she said, one of her remarks was, when I, I said something about, uh, well, I don't care what uh, this head, oh, oh, she said something. She said, don't you know the head nurse is God here? So I said, nobody is God to me. I do what I want. And she looks. She needs somebody to be like that. Because that's what she is to her fucking husband. These are little authoritarian tin pot uh, tyrann tyrannous beings. They need these external examples and say, yeah, you see, it's correct. That legitimates me. See? So I uh, blew her away subtly. I don't accept that, and I saw it. But I didn't, you know, I didn't challenge her in, the, in, in her relationship. I just uh, So anyway, uh, so there I am, ready to be sprung. And this tin pot dictator, head nurse, who outside, in the outside world I know, is not treated too well,
I know that. It's obvious. She's a black gal. She's an older woman. She's etc. etc. But here, this is her terrain. This is her dominance. And does she dominate? She screams out across the room, a comments on these guys, the special guys, mocking them, mocking them. They understand something, mocking them. She's all over the place. She decides what you should do and what he should do and what. So when I want to get out, you know what she tells me? We got to wait for the pharmacy to come. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the drugs that you're supposed to take to go out. So I say, okay. So I wait. I'm playing it soft, soft, but I'm doing my nut. I know I got to get out of here. But now I'm getting out of here, but I got to get out of here. And she's saying, wait for the pharmacy. And I say, wait, wait, wait a second. I'm not going to wait for the I'm going to go find the pharmacy. So I go and search, and I know the hospital now, and I find the fucking pharmacy. And it's closed 30 minutes, and it's closed for the whole weekend. So I said, what is she trying to do to me? Really fuck me up. So I go back, and I tell her the pharmacy is closed, and da-da-da-da. Oh, she says, it doesn't matter. The porters are going to bring the... Uh, the medication. So, well, she's thick. I know that she knows this place in and out. She could give answers that will always confuse me or confound me. So I said, where is the Porter's Lodge? She says she doesn't know. I said, in that case, I want out now. Could you take out this canicule now? I'll pick up the pharmacy later. She said, you'll, you'll sign something for that? So I say, yes. And I sign something. I make a letter, sign it, give it to her, and she takes out the canicule. Finally. And then I get out the canicle, and then I'm able to walk out, go out into the bus, and uh, see, take the one all the way back, see the world, returning to the world that I had given up, the insanity that, was, that I had experienced for three long days for no reason at all that has hurt me, John, because at this moment, my kidneys, a day later, was to show that it had suffered badly. I have, my ankles are swollen. That's typical of a degeneration in the kidneys. All doctors look at that. So they've, she's, they've, it's really fucked me. I don't think those antibiotics did me any good. And generally it was disaster. So I was innocently placed into a disaster because I was cut off from my original continuity, the original people that knew what was wrong with me. And uh, that's the thing. So when you go into these uh, hospitals, you have to write down in your head and have it. You gotta be aggressive with it. This is my problem. You cannot violate this, this, this. And I want you to prove to me that you're not violating it. Show me the book that says that this chemical doesn't violate it. Because that's what they do. Even the specialists did it. So that's the, uh, the story. It's a story of uh, tens of thousands of people working, 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 working to help. There, there is no question about that. They want to do things good for you. They want to, uh, they're all there to help you, but they're caught up in a system that is impersonal, so that they, they can't follow up a case. They, they pick up themselves. Uh, a friend tells me that in the London hospitals, 
the nurse that gets an agency nurse gets 13 quid a uh, an hour do you know what the uh, the agency is paid 13 quid as well so it, it turns out that the that the half of the wages paid by the NHS goes into these private fucking agency hands Bupa and all sorts as they rip apart money rip into the money and so every and, they, and it's all great for them so they're not going to change it and so the nothing gets personal it's all impersonal jump around these agency gals they're making more than they make if they work for the NHS directly uh, and uh, and it all works so that so there you have this marvelous forces of, of good private companies ripping the shit out of the potential uh, loving uh, and helping institution they come in and they decrease the the it's it's real use because they make it impersonal uh, if uh, people they should have uh, an individual doctor follow you all the time as soon as you get in uh, your own doctor and then I'm told from somebody that in Canada that's the way they work it if you go into a hospital every doctor in the hospital is obliged to call up your your personal doctor to find out what's going on and then they'll tr start treating you I was treated without anything like that ignorance it was ignorance it was speed it was we don't have time we're rushed but we're trying to do the best we can uh, uh, for this type of case we do this and if this case is dangerous a pneumonia we don't have to think about what other diseases you have this is the first priority to treat like if you're bleeding you bleed in two minutes dead you treat that first you don't care what else but they didn't realize that my pneumonia was going down, not up, because they only had one picture, one x-ray, when they, you could only get, whether it's going up or down, by two. Wow. So I escape now with injury, great injury, I must admit, and that I think in my own sense, I've given up a belief in their doing anything to me, uh, their interventions. I'll take what they have to say about me, diagnosis-wise, but even that I wonder about. Some of them are just negative people. They give you negatives, waiting for you to go into dialysis, waiting. And, uh, and, um, and live a natural life, and if I die in one year, I die in one year, and uh, so I as I was coming here, I was saying my goodbyes, and I saw what the world is about. There is these as I said, trees and there are people and there are billboards and, and the route that I know and the, and the library and the this and the that. And as I passed it, going out of Brighton, going up to London, I, you know, I said, yes, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen it and lived these things. I could leave, leave it. This is, uh, yes, I can leave it. Um, yes, I think friends are... are, are uh, uh, you know, a little bit more potent, more potent, not little, you know, etc. But I could leave it. I have to be able to accept leaving that too. And, um, but then I saw the thigh of this woman opposite on the bus. And I said, alas, can I leave that? Radio on.
Berlin. You have been listening to Radio on Berlin. Yeah! yeah.